0: It is amazing to see how God works, even in messy times or uncertain times. And I hope that message comes through to us this morning as we look at Acts 13 together. Let me invite you to turn there with me, and we'll we'll be reading through the first 12 verses of that passage today. Over the past week or two, uh, national sports have come back online. The baseball season, basketball season are underway, for good or for bad. Uh, I know there are a lot of opinions out there. But I have a, a brother-in-law who is a die-hard Philadelphia 76ers basketball fan. And I've, I've gotten to know his passion for that team over the last few years. And if you had watched one of their games in former seasons when there were actually stands in the fan, uh, stands in the fans, fans in the stands, there's a good chance you would have seen a sign or people wearing the t t-shirt at one of those games that said, trust the process. Trust the process. That has been uh, this team's kind of mantra or slogan over the past five years. And it started kind of roughly probably in, in 2013, 2014, when the 76ers hired a new general manager, a guy named Sam Hinkie, to sort of direct the strategy for the future of that team. And Sam Hinkie decided that rather than be kind of a persistently mediocre franchise, that they wanted to build a, kind of an elite team for the future, which sounds you know, like what most people would want. But his strategy to do that became controversial and pretty unorthodox because early in his tenure, he started taking their very best players and trading them away. And he, he allowed all of this talent to be sent away for future draft picks, for future players in, in the years to come. And his, his thought was, after a few seasons of losing, eventually Philadelphia would acquire enough talent that they would be able to, to chase an NBA title. And as predicted for the first few years, the 76ers were terrible. They were one of the worst teams in the NBA. Everybody laughed at them. They lost you know, some huge percentage of their games those first few years. And predictably, Sam Hinkie lost his job in the process. But there became this movement among the fans that they needed to trust the process, that became a, a hashtag on social media and on signs and t-shirts. Trust the process, meaning if we hang in there, if we, if we keep losing for a season, eventually things are going to right themselves. We're going to have a brighter future. And they even gave uh, the nickname, The Process, to one of their star young players, Joel Embiid, who's, who's pictured here. He he's still calls himself The Process because he's a, he's a product of that season in the life of this team. And it was was the team's way, it was the fan base's way of reminding themselves to look forward optimistically, look forward to the future rather than focusing on sort of their current limitations as a franchise. And finally last year things started to look different in Philadelphia. Trusting the process actually gave them a competitive team, one of the most talented young teams in the NBA, and they got within one shot against the Toronto Raptors of advancing to the NBA Finals. This summer, they're trying to make another playoff run, and we'll see what happens. But at least for now, it seems like that process, that future-oriented process, is paying off. Now, I don't suppose to, to make a clear one-to-one analogy between churches and basketball clubs. But I imagine, as, as organizations, we might be subject to some of the same pressures, some of the same feelings um, in the way we make our decisions. Can we move to the next slide? I'm having trouble getting this to work up here. There we go. Right? Often, as, as churches, we too struggle to make investments for the future. We, we'd rather maybe stay comfortable, even if that means maybe we're not fully carrying out or living out the mission of our church in the way that we, we know or sense we are supposed to. Right? We sometimes need to be reminded or encouraged to trust the Spirit's process, to trust the vision God has for mission and for our future. And that might mean that we need to be rebuilt or reshaped or reconfigured in new ways. I think We need to ask ourselves, what do we desire more deeply? Right? To be comfortable or to see the mission of God advance? To grow, to, to reach new places of maturity, knowing that that will probably be costly to us. Last week, we got to see the start of this community, this church family in Antioch in Acts 11. And we saw how vital a partnership between Antioch and Jerusalem was for the the start and the the birth of that community. It also came back to encourage and bless the community in Jerusalem. This morning, we're going to, to move over chapter 12 and come back to Antioch here at the start of 13. And we're rejoining this, this church in Antioch maybe a, a year or a few years into their, their inception. And already, I think we find an impressive level of maturity among this church body. And in particular, the way they are actively asking, actively trusting the Holy Spirit's process to lead them, to grow them as a worshiping community as a people who are sharing life together and who are also always asking what it means to keep moving forward and mission. So if you look at Acts 13, we'll start in verse 1. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you that the future of your church, the future of your kingdom is not an uncertain one. Lord, you have a process, you have a plan And that is invested with all the resources of of who you are, of your grace, of your mercy, of your leadership, of your love, the diverse peoples you have called and prepared for that task. But Lord, we need to listen. We need to be moved. We need to trust in that reality. So I pray, Lord, as we receive these words from your Authoritative word to us in the scripture. May my words as I preach, may our meditations and resolutions and applications as your people be pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. This is in Acts 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, They placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. Again, as we look at this passage, I want us to think about what the Holy Spirit's process looks like in Antioch, and in particular in the life of Saul or Paul and Barnabas. I think the first sort of indication of what the Spirit is up to is actually uh, in verse 1. It's this list of names that we get. And we might just kind of read through that and go, okay, that's, that's good background information. But it helps to stop and ask, who are these five prophets and teachers? Who are these people who are, are kind of the most influential contributors to, to forming this new church in Antioch? And what's incredible to me about this list is that none of these five leaders are actually from the same place. None of them have a common past or background with one another. Probably because Antioch is such a cosmopolitan city, all five of these leaders are actually transplants. None of them are from Antioch in the first place. We know that Barnabas hails from the island of Cyprus across the Mediterranean. Saul is probably sort of the closest product of this congregation from about 100 miles away in Tarsus in Asia Minor. Simeon is called Niger, which is a Latinism in, in the Greek text, meaning black. And this is likely because Simeon is of African descent. We don't know where, but he's likely from Africa and having traveled and, and made his home in Antioch. He's one of the leaders of this community. We're also told that Lucius is from Cyrene, which is in present-day Libya. So again, northern Africa. And Menaean uh, grew up in the, the royal court of Herod. In Palestine. So we have five leaders, we have five different nationalities, sort of communities represented here. There's this incredible diversity in the leadership at Antioch. And that tells me maybe kind of our initial takeaway about the Spirit's process. The Spirit we can trust will lead resources to the church, will lead diverse resources, different giftings, different perspectives, different backgrounds in order to make mission happen, his mission, his kingdom, his values. The Spirit values this kind of diversity. The Spirit draws it in. The Spirit makes room for it in the church. And we can can trust the Spirit to sort of assemble these pieces for us. Sorry, we've got some noise just outside the sanctuary here. But if you imagine... That church in Antioch with these these five leaders guiding it, what kind of church culture do you think that created? What was it like to have Africans and Greeks and Palestinians forging this new culture, this new community and church family together? I think at at the very least that would have been a living picture of how global, how diverse the gospel of Jesus Christ was meant to be. Last week, I I asked us to to kind of reflect on how the Holy Spirit might be doing something similar in the American church today. How, How we may need new leaders, new voices, new perspectives to lead us in mission. We need those diverse backgrounds. And it's not something we have to go looking for ourselves. The Spirit is faithful to do this work, to draw in these voices and leaders, but we have to trust that process. We have to be sensitive. We have to listen to what the Spirit is doing to renew and equip the church today. So the Spirit's process is drawing this incredible diversity of leaders into Antioch. Yet one of the the most striking things in this passage is just as this incredible team is assembled, right, at the end of chapter 12, we're told that Barnabas and Saul, they went back to Jerusalem to take this gift. They returned back to Antioch. And I'm sure there's this excitement. We've got these incredible leaders. These new things are happening. The community's growing. And then here at the start of chapter 13, they come together to worship and to pray. And what does the Holy Spirit say to them? But he says, I want you to give away some of those resources, some of those voices, some of the incredible assets that I have gathered in your church body. And as they pray and as they fast, they hear the Holy Spirit telling them to set apart two of these leaders for a new mission. It says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Not just whatever you want them to do or whatever you feel comfortable with but with with the the work I am increasingly desiring to do. And so Antioch, incredibly, this young community that could have said, no, 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 we need these resources here. This is too important. They're too significant to the, the young life of this church. Instead, Antioch willingly gives away these leaders. They put their hands on them, they bless them, and they send them out. It's like the 76ers trading away their star players, but believing there's there's something better coming in the future. Often I think the mission of God, the, the mission God has for his church to grow us might initially feel like our loss, might initially feel disruptive, like we're giving things away. But I think the future of mission requires investment, requires sacrifice requires change in the present and we need to make changes and allow the spirit to reorganize us now so that we can get to that place in the future of mission we need to notice then together what might the spirit be doing here what might the spirit be doing in jericho or in this this time in this place to help configure us for the future as I thought about that this, this week and over this summer, I think we all have felt like we are, we're spending a lot of energy and thought and time right now trying to adapt as a church, trying to recover some new sense of normal. How do we, how do we kind of weather this pandemic and this season of being all over the place? And there, there have honestly been days in the past month or so where I, I've been kind of just burnt out or discouraged, right? It would feel like we're doing church in isolation or behind computer screens. And I long for a day not just where we're adapting or we're not just looking for the day when COVID-19 finally goes away. I have days where my prayer is, Lord, how can we even in this season be moving forward in mission? How can we be encouraged? How can community actually happen in in better and and powerful ways, even despite all this disruption? One of the the persons I've had a chance to dialogue with that that thought in mind over the past few months is Phil Korovu. Many of you might remember back in the spring, right, the the same weekend that we began practicing sort of sheltering in place right and we had to cancel our service that same weekend we started a new sunday school class on missional community and Phil uh, had volunteered to lead us through that study which moved on to zoom because of our situation but but the idea behind these missional communities right is that in these smaller pockets in groups of five or ten or fifteen people in our neighborhoods in the places that we live and share life that there's an opportunity to To not only get to know one another more deeply, but to open up and and to do mission and to reach out and to bring people we love in our community into those spaces. So Phil and I both share this conviction together that that what happens in big church, what happens when we come together on a Sunday morning in, in a sanctuary, isn't the sum total of discipleship and mission. There have to be other places where we are digging deeper and we're reproducing Uh, mission and and community and we're we're doing the work of discipleship more directly so i was wondering with phil what if this season of disruption might be releasing us from some of those big church habits right that the things we come to depend on it might be reordering us reorganizing releasing new habits that we could be more intentional in those those discipling missional community kinds of relationships So I wanted to have Phil come and share with us. This Sunday seemed like a good fit, but unfortunately Phil was going camping this this week. He had some time off, his family wanted to get away, but graciously he agreed to let me come meet with him at the lake, and we got to talk for a few minutes about these ideas. So I want to share that conversation with you now for a few minutes. So Phil, it's good to be here at the campsite, getting a little smoke in the eyes, feels nice. But I wanted to talk to you about missional church. I know back in the spring, you helped lead our Sunday school class uh, through a Mike Breen book. Uh, Mike Breen's a a person who thinks a lot about mission in the church, um, church planting and other things. We talked a lot about what that might look like at Jericho. Um, So I'm curious, as someone who's thought a lot about church and mission, we're talking about that in Acts. What do you see in this passage this morning, um, Acts 13, that... um, you know this church in Antioch that's just starting out. How do you see kind of the, the practice of mission and community and things happening there in in that church?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that the when I looked over that verse, the the thing that kind of jumped out at me was um, that church is working together in a pretty tight knit group. I mean, they're seeking God together. Seems to me like they're doing it pretty intensely. I think there's a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, it said they were fasting. Um, and um, so they're they're seeking God together. They're investing in the relationships with each other while doing that because they're together. Yeah. Um, and then they're also in from that, God, the Holy Spirit works through that. Um, so, and, and another neat little thing is the, that, that verse says that there were prophets and teachers in the group. So God has kind of equipped the group, uh, but that equipment works within a group because you're not really, if you're not connected to that, you may not benefit from the things the teachers are teaching and the prophets are hearing. Yeah. But I think the fact that they are, um, the way they're seeking God together as a, as a, really they look a lot like a family would probably, uh, or an extended spiritual family would, yeah. um, I think looks a lot like what we talked about in the class. Yeah. Um, and then, so they invested upwards. We talked about the three dimensions in our class. So the three dimensions we talked about are the upward dimension, the pursuit of God, uh, the inward dimension, uh, that's where believers interact together. And then the outward dimension is the, dimension towards mission and so what we see in that is they pursued god the upward dimension together um, and and thereby invested in each other then mission came out of that um so
0: i wonder you know in this season kind of the ways that we're used to doing the up and the end dimensions of church right uh big church on Sunday morning coming together Um, that's all been pretty well disrupted for for a few months now Um, how do you think this particular season might actually afford us an opportunity uh, to recover to more deeply explore um, these these pockets of missional community in a new way at JCC
1: Um, I I mean I think it's really interesting that the the I think it was the week we were supposed to launch the class the class on missional communities uh we had to cancel because of the pandemic so the timing was unbelievable uh it it was strange and um i think that it's one of the it's this interesting thing where like we're we can't do church as as usual but if right now if people would start spending some time finding smaller outlets smaller groups of people within the church they could connect with this would actually be the perfect start point for what we were talking about in the class um where people kind of their orbits kind of change where the orbit isn't uh all focused on sunday's gathering but the orbit now changes to like the the sp- extended spiritual family which is yeah. um it's not a nuclear family it's a little bigger than that um yeah so i think that it's if people get that opportunity it's like a perfect yeah uh, runway for missional communities yeah so i think
0: yeah, I know there have been a few families that have started exploring this idea a little bit, gathering together on Sunday mornings in smaller groups. Um, I know you, you know you've had past experiences with missional community. Um, if there were families or individuals out there who, as they think about moving into the fall months, are are, are interested, their their curiosities piqued about this idea of like what would it look like to start gathering more intentionally um, and thinking about these things, how would you encourage them to kind of? yes keep moving forward or or to start that process
1: yes please 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 don't just think about it by yourself would be the first thought I have Um, find some people to talk with about this idea of missional community or um, just what are next steps so don't just think about it Um, find other people to talk in our church to talk to and then please um, you know I, I think the the key to the missional community what Mike says the guy who kind of pioneered the system uh, well pioneered the book we read anyway he was the one teaching that he talks about how you start with with appropriate one appropriate step and you do that and you do it well yeah. you're comfortable with it then you add another one so we're not talking about when you're talking about a mission, starting a missional community kind of focus you're not talking about rolling out a ton of stuff you're talking about what's the appropriate next step so um i would say you know let's let's find anyone who's interested let's talk about what are appropriate next steps um, and and I would love for anyone to reach out to me or to Dave uh, and just you know let us know that that's something you'd want to consider um, yeah I, I just think if you just talk I think just the taking the first step of talking with someone about it is a huge step yeah. so um, and then yeah um, I think another thing thought I've had through this whole process is you know it just in thinking about a missional community the I think the thought comes up well what is it is it some weird thing um, and one thought I've had kind of looking back on the class now is it's really what Mike did is he really looked at how Jesus lived his life and he tried to structure his ministry like that so I would say that a missional community it's maybe it sounds weird it's like a new term but it's I think that what it is is just um ordering your life like Jesus ordered his life that's what we're hoping for and so um to maybe not think of it as like a um as like a ministry tactic but rather uh, a way to live like Jesus I think is um a helpful way to think about missional communities, and I think also it makes it less intimidating um and less foreign and strange it's like um, yeah. yeah.
0: I'm excited to see where some of this ends up and um, what people are, yeah, sensing and and maybe starting to try out. So, and I'd for like a good to time. say
1: thank you to the people who sent gifts to my floor. Uh, the people at GCU sent us a gift card to Mirabell's and also the Jericho Community Kitchen gift. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for the good work you're doing in the hospital too. Yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks Phil. Thanks Enjoy you. the rest of your camping trip.
1: I uh, I will. <laughs>
0: I want to just echo the encouragement that Phil gave there as we, as we move to the end of August, the school year starting back up, that if, if you have an interest of gathering together in, in a smaller way, in a more intentional way with others, uh, we'd love to be part of that conversation, love to help share that invitation, if that's a desire of yours, or just you know come alongside and, and begin to encourage one another in that way, because that's one, one way we can move forward in mission together. Rather than just seeing kind of the next several months as as trying to hang on, right? What could the, the Spirit be releasing or doing in a new way? What new habits, new relations, new relationships, new ways of being the church could God be advancing in us? We're almost out of time, but I want to touch on really briefly, as Saul and Barnabas are released from this new community, they bless them to go forward in mission And they trust the process of the Holy Spirit. What fruit comes out of that obedience, that looking to the future? Really briefly, look at verses 4, roughly through 7. Can we bring that up here? There we go. So it says in verse 4, "...the two of them, blessed by this community in Antioch, they're sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus, which is an island." Verse 6, going on, says, They traveled through the whole island until they came to the city of Paphos, which is the capital. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant in the court of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. But the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So we have... Saul, who now takes the name Paul in this community, his Greek name, as he begins to go in mission. They're sent off. They go to the island of Cyprus. Largely, it says, directed by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't seem like they have a real clear itinerary. We do know that Barnabas is from that place, so he he likely has a desire to see the gospel take root. Likely, he's been praying for this community in Cyprus for, for many years as he's come to follow Jesus. But it says they, they show up on the island there, and, uh, and they follow the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sends them across the whole of the island until they reach the capital city of Paphos, which is on the western side. It's the new capital, the Roman capital of, of the island. And as they get there, it turns out that, that God has created a desire, has gone before them, uh, so that Sergius Paulus, the, the sort of governor or, or overseeing... Um, political figure on the island he wants to hear the word of god he sends for them and says come share this teaching this message you have and in the intermediate verses there there's this resistance there's an attendant who who doesn't want uh, this leader to to come to hear the gospel but thanks to the boldness of paul and barnabas the gospel is shared and there is a receptiveness it says that the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, is amazed at what he hears. And so the, the message of Jesus, because of the obedience of the church in Antioch, because of their willingness to go forward and release Paul and Barnabas, now the message of Jesus reaches this new city, this new place, the capital of Cyprus in Paphos. But incredibly, the spirit isn't finished yet. Yet. That's not the the end of this new mission and movement. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, John Mark, who had been traveling with them, he left at that point to return to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And the rest of 13 is this incredible gospel message that Paul shares there in Poseidon Antioch. But the question I initially had is, why do they, why do they move on when they have this receptive audience in Paphos? Why don't Paul and Barnabas stay put for, for a longer period of time? And most of all, why do they go up into the middle of nowhere, this Poseidon Antioch community? It's up in the mountains of Asia Minor. It's not a significant city for, for trade purposes. It's kind of out of the way. And that's a question that many, um, many archaeologists, many commentators asked, what, why, why this place? And they asked that until recently when archaeologists began uh, unearthing what they believe is this community in the mountains of Asia Minor, Poseidon Antioch. And they discovered on numerous uh, tablets and monuments, inscriptions bearing the name Sergius Paulus. Turns out, the guy who's governing back in Cyprus was probably from this community, and he owned vast states of land. He was developing this new place in in the Greco-Roman world. And so, it's likely that he sends Saul and Barnabas there. He sends them with letters of recommendation. He sends them with his blessing. Now that I have heard the gospel, I want you to take it to my my community, my home, my neighbors, and share it with them. And so the gospel is, is released in mission yet another time. Right? It goes from Antioch over, over in, in Syria. It comes across the Mediterranean to Cyprus, to Paphos, and then it's released again to a new Antioch, Poseidon Antioch. And it begins uh, to have an audience, an invitation there. And there's this incredible cycle of mission Again, because there is a desire to look forward, not to, to be content with what we are currently comfortable or, or, or facing today. As a, as a final question this morning, I, I guess I'd like us to ask, right, what is the Spirit's process for us right now? Right? The Congregational Church of Jericho, the American church, the worldwide church, has probably never looked like it looks right now people scattered and and in their their homes and and in smaller groupings, right? This is unprecedented in church history. But what could the Spirit be doing in that process? What might he be forming and shaping in the the people of God? if, If we believe God is sovereign, he sees all things, he knows all things, then there is purpose, there is mission, there is opportunity for us to grow in this time. And so let's be asking, let's be listening like that church in Antioch as we worship, as we pray, as we fast, as we seek the Lord now. What horizons could he be opening up and shifting within us so that we continue to be a church of future mission? You pray with me. Lord, as the psalmist prayed earlier in our worship this morning, that that we hunger and thirst for you. Lord, to to be in your presence, to know you, to know the living God is is better than the richest feast or fair. But Lord, there I imagine are among many of us a longing, a thirsting, a hungering for community, connection and renewal. Or not just to be the church broken up at this time. But Lord, as we ask how you might put us back together, put these pieces back together. Lord, may we hear your process. May we grow. May we be equipped. May we receive what you desire to do and bless it, even if it's hard, even if it's new. And may we see then the fruit that you bring from that, because we've been obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.